We've got some hey, I'm Luis. And I'm Luis. And you're listening to the Content before. is Profit One, podcast. We spent the last four years learning the strategies and techniques from some of the top marketers in the world on how to create content that turns into profit. If you like to learn how to turn that content into profit, go to contentsprofit.com. All right. Look at that. You were trying to mess me up with your tones and stuff, and you got yourself all confused. But guys, <laughs> that aside, we have an incredible guest today. Yes. And we're going to be talking about turning dreams into reality. For real, for real. For real, for real. For real, for real. I mean, I, I mean, I think we are living our dream, and I... I, I I, I've been dying to talk about this, right? It could be, for some people, it might be fluffy. I for some people, it might be the real thing. I, 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 I love like this it. topic because mm. we crashed or or first dream, right? Oh, like, our yeah. first dream didn't happen. We lost mm. our identity. And now what, right? We're like in this new adventure with a new dream. So mm. it is very exciting to talk about this topic today. But before, before we get started, that, Pussy, do you got a sponsor for us today? Indeed he, he was we trying to do. throw the, the pitch at me here yes, today. <laughs> indeed we do. And today's sponsor is your own The Biz Bros. Let's go. With Content Momentum. And what is Content Momentum? You might be asking yourself, mm. well, <laughs> if you produce long-form content just like this one that you're listening to or watching and you want to turn it into value-packed, bite-sized assets. So then you can send it into social media so you oh, can yeah. amplify your contribution. Let's go. And get some more clients. Ooh. Then, then we want to help you out. Slide in the DMs. In the DMs. Slide in the DMs. Yeah, I always mess that part up. Slide <laughs> in the DMs at Beast Bros Co. On Instagram. Sweet. On Facebook. Awesome. Right after you slide into those DMs, go ahead and subscribe. Hit smash that subscribe button and follow us on social media at Beast Bros Co. Start the conversation. Let's have content conversations. Hashtag so juicy, so good. Ooh. <laughs> Baby, let's oh, go. Oh, <laughs> and, and if you find this episode impactful, please don't forget to share it and leave a five-star review. Thank you. What a guest we have today. We met this seasoned podcasting veteran in one of the best events for podcaster, Pot Max. Yeah, yeah. Today's guest was actually our host and had to deal with all of our Hispanic craziness through an entire session. That's mm. right. And after that, we actually got to share a roundtable with him. And Ooh. guess what? We discovered he is pretty epic. Oh, he yeah. has published oh, yeah. 368 episodes Ooh. and has been listened to over one million times. Ooh. One million times. Let me repeat that one more time. One million times. Let me spell that for you. E-P-I-C. <laughs> Epic. Not only that, <laughs> he has helped launch a, mil a multi-billion dollar business. He is one of the writers for Podcast Magazine, probably the best podcast magazine out there. Oh, yep. and uh, did we mention he has built over 400 websites? <laughs> Unbelievable. Let me spell that for you. E-P-I-C. <laughs> Epic. At this point, I'm questioning whether today's guest is a real human or a freaking machine. But without further ado, please welcome host of the Jumble Think Podcast, wonderful husband and father, and EPIC, epic entrepreneur, Michael, Michael Woodward. Hey, guys. <laughs> Welcome, Michael. <laughs> surprise, so surprise. Good to see you, <laughs> so we're so happy to see you, Michael. 
can you can so you hear? You can you yeah. hear us, or was it like too much? <laughs> Just saying. No, no, no. <laughs> I think you guys broke the internet, but I mean, hey, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, you know, be, behind cameras, we're like, hey, Michael, have you seen or heard the show? And he's like, you know, just a tiny bit. I'm like, okay, don't tell me more. Don't tell me more. You don't have to because uh, we might have a surprise for you. So, spoiler alert, that was a surprise. You know, the, <laughs> Fonzie here tries to write EPIC epic intros. <laughs> um, so, I, I hope uh, it lived up to you. Thank you, man, for, for joining us into, into the show. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, glad to be here. Uh, you're too generous in that intro. Too generous for sure. <laughs> No. Hey, we we were literally just describing the experience that we had with you in Podmax, all right? So, like, literally everything that is here is or the thoughts that we had after we had a conversation with you. Yeah. So, Michael, why don't you share with us a little bit of, like, you know, who you are, where you come from. You kind of teased it, you know, behind the scenes a little bit. Uh, but, uh, you know, let's share it with the audience to, so we can get to know you a little bit better and then uh, go from there. Yeah. I mean, I'm an open book, so whatever you guys want to ask. I started in the world of entrepreneurship not because of uh, a planned strategy to step out and say, hey, I want to go start a business. I want to go do this thing. I started in entrepreneurship because I worked at a church, and they couldn't afford to pay me when the recession hit. Mm -hmm. And so ended up starting a web agency. There's a long story there. Ended up doing that. I've worked with uh, hundreds of businesses Uh, we've launched, like you said, 400 websites from mom and pop to big fortune 100 co corporations. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've, uh, launched the podcast in 2017 uh, where we talked to some pretty crazy people about their journey of turning dreams and ideas into reality. And, and along the way, just had a lot of fun. Ah, so, so good. I, I love the, I, I put here the weird path to entrepreneurship, right? Because everybody has like these like very like crazy vision of like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. And, you know, I was born an entrepreneur and you're like, you know, it, it was born out of a necessity, right? You were in this environment that somehow uh, it didn't work out, you know, for, for the, for the time that, that you were there. And then you're like solution. Here we go. Entrepreneurship. And, uh, and I, I love that path. I, I'm curious, you know, before Fonzie dives into to his very smart questions, because he's the, he's a he's a better one than that. But and you know, through through that change, you know, a lot of us go with something similar. You know, sometimes, uh, and I think this is our personal story. Like we we always felt like we had something inside that we were not not a fit for maybe an organization, and we were always like trying to find different ways to to do something else inside of that organization. But what was that like that mind that mind shift that you have to go through when this change happened? Because it, It feels like it was a very radical change. Yeah. So I'm working at this church. It's an awesome place. Still love it. I was just back there a couple months ago visiting some friends. And and recession hit. Most of their funding came through construction. And mm -hmm. they're sitting on houses they can't sell. The senior pastor in a construction company, that was most of the funding for the church. He came to the core staff, myself and a few others, and said, hey, we can't afford to pay y'all. And, you know, at that point, it's like, well, What do you do? I mean, you, you can roll up in a ball in the corner and just kind of deal with it. Or you can go out and say, what, what can I do? And so a friend of mine said, hey, would you come work for me in our design agency? And I said, yeah. And uh, that was amazing. Got to work with some incredible people there. That's where I learned the trade of coding and uh, yeah. some design aspects of that. And and uh, when they decided, you know, the owner wanted to become he was like in his fifties, uh, 60s and he wanted to focus on philanthropic things. And so yeah. he wanted to get out of the business myself and another developer. We took over the business mm. and then I took over the business in full a couple years after that. And so it was an interesting journey. It was very unexpected. You know, you ask about the mindset change, the shift and yeah. you know, 
I think I'm always have been a person that's thought differently, thought yeah. uh, from a different point of view. You know, there's a saying that says innovation happens at the edges. And mm -hmm. I think so often there are a lot of people in every sector who live kind of in the, the edges of the, 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 the standard, the, the, the normal way. And for me, you know, my approach to how I problem solve, the approach that I take to answering questions, working with clients is vastly different than the industry. Yeah, And so for me, uh, I think I've always lived in that space. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people are much more entrepreneurial than they, they realize. They just are kind of stuck in a job doing it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. You know, like I do think most people have those dreams, right, that they want to go out there and pursue. But the thing is, have they been properly encouraged to chase those dreams as well, right? Because we don't know the environment where they grew up. Uh, we were lucky enough, right, that our parents, every time we asked them for money, they were like, okay, go and earn it, right? <laughs> Find figure a way. Don't steal it. Just figure exactly, it out. Exactly. <laughs> figure it out, right? So since we were little, we bid, you know, okay, let me trim the grass. Or we would go to this market back in Venezuela where they did, would did sell. They pay, did they pay you when you trimmed the, the grass? Because they didn't pay me. So this might be a conversation <laughs> that we need to have after. Yeah, we might have, we might need to have um, this conversation with our parents. Yeah, you're saying. But you know, okay. we would go to the, to this market too where they will sell uh, very cheap soccer jerseys and then we would <laughs> go back to our school and resell them for a profit. And at the moment, we actually didn't thought about it as entrepreneurship. We were just trying to make a, a buck. And then personally for me, once I came to the U.S., that I kind of like discovered that entrepreneurial world was when I connected the dots and I was like, oh, wow, look at that. That is pretty interesting and I think a lot of people they haven't had that opportunity right because especially I feel here especially in the U.S. with all the entire um, college, college education that you have to go specifically to do these certain things right like this path that is already set for people um, people don't don't really dive or like the, the way they raise some of Uh, of the people around there, they don't really encourage them to go outside of the comfort zone to try these new things and fail. So it is very interesting. And, you know, talking about going out of your comfort zone, I'm extremely curious because you kind of like took over this business. And most people that we've had on the show, they started their business from zero, right? So I'm curious because you must have faced a whole different set of challenges when coming into a business that had certain structure, right? And now you are coding at this moment. You learned the, the skill sets. You probably, I'm sure you had the leadership skills to run the business as well. But what were some of those challenges now when you're taking over this business that already has some sort of a foundation? How do you take it from good to excellent? Yeah, great question. I think for me, I want to lay a foundation of what it looked like to actually take that over. You see so many entrepreneurs or, or employees come in and they do a buyout scheme where they buy out a business. That wasn't what happened in our, our case. I didn't take over the business yep. and run yeah. the established business. I really started my own business out of that business mm. as they shuttered that. I just happened to have the benefit of being able to take some of the clients that we had established relationships nice. with yeah. and making them my clients. And so it wasn't so much, hey, I'm coming in, I'm taking over this business, I've purchased it or whatever. It was more of this is kind of going away. We have a client base. Are you interested in them? And yeah. then uh, onboarding them into our own uh, cool. clients and, and what I was doing. And so I had taken, as that company was beginning to shutter, 
I had already started to build my own clients outside the business along with uh, servicing the clients that were inside the business too. So in a lot of ways, I had the benefit of having a client base already where a lot of people who are starting out may not have a client base whatsoever, but it was my own thing. It was my own business. So when it came to the structures and the systems and everything like that, I was basically setting the groundwork for me. One of the big changes and, and it's a boring change, but it's a a good example is that they used a specific hosting provider. I didn't like that hosting provider. So I went out and said, you know, for my clients, the people I'm working with, I'm going to go out and use a different provider that I like. So it's a subtle change, but having that freedom to say, I don't want to continue this, this path anymore. I don't like it because of whatever reason and being able to pivot. is a really powerful freedom. Uh, And I think that the clients liked me and they liked working with me. And so that didn't change. I didn't change. It wasn't like all of a sudden I became a different person (laughs) in that shift. I was still the same guy. They liked me. And so they continued working with me even as that other company closed down. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for clarifying that, right? Because I I didn't want to come across asking that that question as like, oh, you started with an advantage, right? (laughs) Not at all. I think is like I mentioned, is a whole different set of different challenges that you're that you're having to tackle yeah. in here. And, and I think that's that's a great segue to to the thought I'm having right now. So so you know we mentioned before in our journey, right? We started creating content, we started producing like video content for these things and building s- skills, right? Like you on, on the internet with the web and everything else that you did, right? Fonzie here is a wonderful editor. He doesn't do it anymore because he doesn't want to. He hates it now. <laughs> but you know we same with me, like different skills, soft skills to manage people, uh, different skills in the operating systems that we use, right? So I'm very curious, what is your process to going from executing on a task to then, you know, transitioning into a business owner, right? Because as we've learned into into our, our journey, right, is two completely different things, right? We're like, okay, I don't, I don't have to do this anymore. Like I elevated that task to number five, number six, and then we're bringing in people to elevate it to a number 10, right? For us, that was a really challenging transition. Like I'm going to be completely 100% honest, handing out the baby and the system that we've developed to to somebody else, uh, trusting them that they could elevate it, right? And, and it has. And it, it went instead of a 10 to like a 20, which is incredible, right? But to me, it was really challenging first the idea of trying to find that person that could execute on that. So how was your thought process or how was your process on going from skills to maybe, you know, the managing aspect of it? Right. So when I worked at the church, I had managed quite a bit. I had interns Mm -hmm. working for me. I had staff that were under me and uh, I had, uh, they had a school of ministry. So I was used to leading That was a part of my role. I was a youth pastor and a worship pastor. And so I was used to leading people and working with people. Now, I wish I could say I did it perfectly all the time. (laughs) I did not, but I learned how to do things better and what not to do. You know, a good friend of mine says, there's two things you'll always learn from me, what not to do and what to do. (laughs) And and I think that's all of us. We don't like criticism, but sometimes the criticism is the thing that helps us. All that to say, when I entered into what I was doing, I went the solopreneur way. And, and I'm, right now I'm living in that space too in a lot of ways. Now I have contractors that I work with. I have uh, people that we have partnerships with that, yeah. that are a part of our team, but we don't have any traditional employees. We, we went the contractor route for, for several yeah. reasons, which maybe we'll get into that at another part of the story. 
I started out the business for the first year, probably maybe a year and a half yeah. as a solopreneur. Yeah. I probably wouldn't have hired anyone if it wasn't for the fact that a friend of mine called me up and said, I lost my job. I'm a graphic designer. I work for this company. I've known him since I was four. Yeah. And I said, dude, uh, let me see what I can find for you. Yeah. I couldn't really find anything with what would be perfect fit for him. Yeah. And I said, well, maybe I can create a space for him. Maybe I can create a a role that that will help me. And so I hired first, not because of necessity, although in hindsight, it was one of the best decisions I could have made at that time. Yeah. I hired because I had a friend that needed help. And so when I hired them, I began to, you know, increase their role. Now it's 10 hours a week. Now it's 20 hours a week. Now he was, then he went full time. And, and so it was a process of learning what we needed. And mm. as I offered some things I enjoyed doing, things that I was pretty solid at doing, uh, the graphic design aspect of it, as I began to say, here, here, you take this, I found that it freed me up. And we actually were uh, increasing project turn. So the, the amount of time it takes from start to finish was going quicker. Yeah. I was finding that I was able to support our clients better. Well, what it really taught me was I was the cog in the system. I was the <laughs> one that was mucking it up. I was, I was, I was, you know, I needed some greasing yeah. and that greasing came in the form of people that could help. Hmm. And so he was my first employee. Then we brought on some other people, we grew to about 12 people at our, our pinnacle of uh, how big our team was. And we were working for some crazy projects and yeah. doing some really unique things. But I chose it not because I thought I needed it, but because I wanted to help someone. Yes. And there's been other times where I've hired people. Sometimes it's worked out well. Sometimes it's not worked out well. And it all came back to sometimes just seeing people and saying, hey, you need a spot. I can make a spot for you. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it was, hey, I have a need. Let's go find someone to help with that specific need. And so it varied from employee to employee yeah. and what was going on. But it was an unexpected journey to hire people. It was never really on my radar of things. I go, oh, yeah, this sounds like a good thing yeah. to do. But it ended up there and it worked out really well. I think I do best when I'm in a team. I, that's part of my personality, my the, the makeup of who I am. Yeah. And I, I, you know, would hope that my one of my strengths, I, I think it is, is to help inspire people on the journey of, of creating. And so, so... I do best when I have a team around me. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I, I, I do see you, Michael, as a very <laughs> conscious person about who you work with and who you have right next to you and how you want them to be better, right? Like be in an environment that everybody gets better. And I love that what you said that you discovered that you were you were the, the cog in the in the machine, right? Because that kind of happened to us. We were so mm. nervous and scared, like my brother said, right? To give these processes away and tell someone like, okay, like now's your turn, right? To do it. We're like, are they going to do it better than us? We were all scared. <laughs> and guess what? They did it way better than us. And the same and as faster. you, we discovered we were the bottleneck and we're like, wow, now we can get so much more done, right? We can actually focus on other tasks that are going to move the needle forward. And we don't always have to be just doing the fulfillment, right? So, Extremely interesting. Yeah. And you mentioned something that you mentioned. You went back a little bit into your, your church days where you were managing. And mm -hmm. I'm just so curious about this, Michael, because you, again, are the first one that we've had here with that background that is coming from the church to, to entrepreneurship. 
And I'm extremely curious of what were some of the lessons that, that you have applied? I mean, you already said that you were leading, uh, you were managing a certain group of people, but what, what other lessons did you learn there that have been useful for you in the entrepreneurial world? Yeah, I think one of them is people inherently know if what they're doing is right or wrong. Mm. You know, from the standpoint, if you're working with a client, most people have some kind of gut instinct that kind of says, hey, you're going down the right road or, hey, warning, you know, stranger danger, as they say, you know, and and, and so often you don't need to, from a manager managing standpoint, you don't need to go in and be the iron fist. Yeah coming down on an employee that's not working out often you can have a conversation that goes simply like this dude what's going on how you doing where are you struggling uh, and then you can point point to a specific instant hey when we were working with this client this happened what's going on what'd you do right what'd you do wrong okay don't do the things that you did wrong do the things that you do right and do more of them <laughs> and so you can allow the person to guide their own uh direction uh, most of the time they will inherently know yeah i i screwed up here And mm. a lot of times they don't need to be told, yeah, you screwed up there. Mm. Most of the time they just need a little bit of encouraging and someone to come alongside them and say, dude, it's okay. Let's fix yeah. it for the future. Yeah. And that's not always the case. You will have the person that I think of one guy who, you know, didn't show up for work sometimes and different things like that. And it was like he was making choices that were counterproductive to his success. Mm. And for me, at some point, it's like, this isn't going to work out. And as much as I can come alongside and, and encourage and guide and coach, you, you can't change someone that doesn't want change. So there has to be some ownership from them. And that's a really good lesson. I think the other thing is, is taking relationship much more seriously. The specific mm. church I worked at, it's called the Father's House. It's in Orville, California, uh, home of wildfires and dam collapses. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, literally those have been uh, the last couple of years. And, wow. uh, and, And with the kind of people I worked with at the church, you know, the, the youth that I was pastoring, a lot of times they didn't have parents. Mm -hmm. They might be lucky to have a grandparent taking care of them. They might be lucky to have a parent in the house that, that isn't high and strung out. Wow. They might be living in a house of addiction. You know, I, I think of a guy named Eddie who's passed away and he was an addict clean and sober for three years and relapsed and ended up dying uh, wow. because of his addiction. I think wow. of, I can tell you all kinds of crazy stories, but it, it, it highlights how significant the moment at hand is. A lot of times we write off somebody in the situation that they're going on because it's a hassle. It's a time suck. It's, it's whatever. It's a nuisance. And Sometimes the most significant thing you can do is, is pay attention to the thing right in front of you, the mm. person, the situation. And I think so often it's easy to write off somebody as uh, a failure, as whatever you want to title them as, as whatever you want to uh, label them as. And in that, you miss the power of what they have to offer. Yeah. So all that to bring it back, the conversation that we have today could mean the difference of life and death for someone. That's a conversation. That's a thing I learned, uh, you know, working with uh, addicts, working with youth, like they may go home tonight and they may end up dead. You know, I want, I know one guy who uh, got so strung out. He went up and tried to find money in a neighboring town and literally killed an elderly couple with an ax. Mm. I mean, just crazy wow. stuff. What is the conversation that could have happened to change his life? 
What is the conversation that could happen with an employee? What is the conversation with a client? And when I sit down with a client, bringing this back into the entrepreneurial space, a lot of times my job isn't to build them a website. My job is to help guide them to what's best for them, Mm. to to help them understand and see the unknown potential. There's a lot of times I I was just sitting down with somebody recently and we're talking about their idea. And I said, I think you're thinking too smallly on this and you're, you're, you're not seeing how this can be a cohesive product. I'm like, we're talking about, if you do this right, a billion dollar business, Mm -hmm. you know, versus a couple million dollars, just a slight shift, just a slight change. And so being an advocate for our our clients, I, I say this and, you know, I say two things to clients when we first sit down to talk and and it sounds like kind of a a jerk thing to say but it's the best thing that they can hear one i don't care what they want i I really don't i don't care what my customers want what i care about is what their customers want because if we can get their customers what they want Mm. they're going to convert those customers and that's going to in turn create sales that's going to create revenue that's going to create product that's going to help change lives and so if i'm focused so much on the client they're not the they're not the the hero of the story. Their client is the hero of the story. So how do we make them the hero? Because yeah. that will in turn get the client to where they want. And the second thing is is that you're not right. My job isn't to tell you that the client is always right. And and we hear that in business all the time. The client is always right. The client's mm-hmm. always always right. No, the client gets what they want, but that doesn't mean that they're right. It yeah. means that if they have an advocate in their business partners, whether it's a web developer and designer like me, whether it's a business coach, whether it's a, an accountant, their job is to come in and say, as an advocate for your business, I've got to let you know that you have a blind spot here. Yeah. I've got to call you out on this and help you get on the right path to get you to the potential of what you have. Yeah. And so I think that that translates right from that story of, of, ministry into entrepreneurship that that lesson carries over a victim is a victim until they realize that they can be a victor Mm, and so often we allow people to live in their place of victim and we we feed that i mean look at the california issue with homelessness they're empowering people to be homeless why because they're well intended uh, they're well-hearted they want to help these people but doing it the way that they're doing is only empowering addiction homelessness and a continued cycle. So you've got to change that. And sometimes the hardest thing is to say, dude, I love you, but you're doing the wrong thing and we've got to make a shift. So I'm not going to give you needles. I'm not going to go just allow the law to be bent to make you comfortable. We've got to get systems and structures in place to get you the job training that you need, to get you off the streets and get you into a safe housing place, to give you a place where you can start building the life that that you deserve, not the life that you are living. And, and I think that that is, as a business person, our number one call to our employees. That's the number one call to our clients. That's the number one call to our families. And, and you know, there's a guy named um, uh, Ed Freeman. He was on the show recently. And the 80s, 90s, 2000s mantra in the stock world was shareholder philosophy. What makes the most for the shareholder? Mm-hmm. And he was saying, you know what the problem with that is? Is it? It devalues a whole bunch of people that are major players. It devalues the employees. It devalues the customer because you're looking at bottom lines. You're not looking at outcomes of how that impacts lives. Yeah. And so he he's a big advocate. He actually coined the term stakeholder philosophy that says, who are the stakeholders and how do we bring value to everyone? And yeah. how do we do it in such a way that there's not a trade-off where people lose? 
because I think sometimes we have a misconception that where if if one person wins, another person has to lose. lose. Yeah. I, I just think that we politics is a great example right now. We're all losing because everyone's acting stupid. Yep. And I don't care what side you're on. It's acting stupid. So we're nah. all losing. Nah. So we got to get on the same page and work on this together. And that, that's entrepreneurship. That's the church. That's that's politics. That's culture and society. That is uh, a big heddle that we're you know, spinning right now that's just not the right stew. Dude, wow. Th- this is resonating so much. Yes. I was, uh, just so you know, because uh, obviously, you know, we're not from here, right? Like, and, uh, and I think when we first came to the States... I think the way that we were raised, we had a little bit of a different mindset too, uh, coming into this country. Um, and now seeing some of the things that happen, especially, you know, the, the crazy background that you've mentioned and your story and the people that you that you work with and that you have conversations with, right? Like the sometimes we take, and I think not sometimes, most times, we take everything for granted, right? Like, uh, you know, I'm going to give you a quick, very small example. The other day we were at Ikea and... Uh, one of the furnitures that that we wanted wasn't there right and uh, we had people complaining that that thing is not there that how is it possible like we're waiting to freaking june to get this furniture and like they're going crazy and in my head um, you know we come from from venezuela right there's no food in the supermarkets right you have to wait like days and months to get chicken right or to get milk and it's a way of perspective right so we're like wow what are those conversations that we need to have with with people like that from the very beginning to empower them to do better right to empower to to make their own decisions to a better life like you say you know turning those ideas and into reality right and and he's so delicate of of a of a topic because as you grow with those decisions and, and just knowing how to think really, and we've mentioned this on the show before, then as a business owner, then you can make better decisions. Then you can educate your, your staff. Maybe you can educate your clients like you're saying, right? It, it just cascades into a bunch of different things. And then it just multiplies across different platforms, different communication channels, different families, right? So I, I think what you're saying is incredibly important uh, in every aspect of, of life. Yeah, I, I love all the points that you hit while, you know, sharing what you've learned and how you apply it to entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And one of the thoughts that came to mind is Stephen Covey. You have that mindset of win-win, right? Is is I don't, I'm not the only one that wants to win. I don't just want to make a buck, right? I want everybody to win here. It's not just win-win. It's win-win-win because you want their customers to win. You want your customer to win. And then, therefore you end up winning as well, right? And I have some pointers here that I wrote down as you were talking. I just want to share it with the listener so yeah. you guys under understand kind of like the messages, right? In in a little bit more concise, right? You talk about being comprehensive and listen to that, that other person. Where are they right now, right? You talk about ownership. You need to own your results. You need to own your position as well, right? It is very difficult to have these difficult conversations, but we must have them. They are very important. And I'm going to give a quick shout out here to Joseph Hansen, which we've had in the show before. And he talked all about having those difficult conversations, going into that uncomfortable zone so everybody around you can grow, right? You talked about taking the relationships more seriously. Again, it comes back to caring about the other person. You talk about being present. So important because 
especially as entrepreneurs, so often we're very focused in the future, which is great because that's where we're going, but then we got to come back into the present and execute right here, right? And a lot of people are stuck in the past. A lot of people are, oh, but I used to be this, and, I, and they have all this guilt, and they live literally in the past because all the emotions that they're feeling today are from experiences that they experienced before when they have the power to change the present. So again, be present here today. Another, and the last point that I wrote down is guide them on the right path, which is absolutely amazing because I love this phrase that you said, I don't care what the customers want, <laughs> focus on what their customers want. And I feel like so often people miss that, right? Um, because it is, yeah, how can you help your client? How can you help your client? Well, guess what? Your client is helping somebody else. That if you help, that person wins, your client is going to win, right? So, oh, so many so, incredible that, lessons. That, that last point, it was such a big mind shift for us when we started this journey, right? Like, because, you know, I've heard that one, you know, your customer's always right, right? Yeah. And, and when I was in the fitness industry, the freaking customer was not always right. Like they would come in and they're like, I'm late. And we had a late fee that we were charging. I was like, I want a refund. I'm like, in that case, you're not right. So like there was a massive like crash of identity there. I'm like, okay, everybody's telling me, you know, the customer's always right. But, you know, we have this rule. They break the rule. We need to charge them. Right. And then they're, they're asking for this refund. So there's, it, it was it just, that, that's one just very specific example. Yeah. But, but, you know, once we were faced and you said, like, I, I bring people into my conversations and then we unlock the potential, right? So we don't know what we don't know. And then you have these amazing conversations where like, man, you know, I've been there or I know somebody that has been there. Why don't you play this game instead, right? Because your clients are going to win. You're going to win so much more and uh, then everybody's happy, right? So what what do you think? Yeah. Why, why do you think there's no more, there's no more of these conversations going on? I, I feel like they're rare. Are they? Uh, like, yeah, I, I think, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, no. It the, broke up there for a second. So. No, no worries. So why why is it that we don't, we cannot have these conversations, uh, let's say in college? I never had a conversation like that, right? Like uh, it, it, it was very, very linear. It's like, you know, this is what you do. Like how, how can we expand our minds to the possibilities to or to unlock the potential is there a framework that you follow is there a structure that you follow with you with your clients with your staff that then we can deliver it either to the market or how can, how can we reach more people doing doing this kind of stuff yeah so you know you first asked about why aren't we having conversations like this i i love the world of education i love teachers. Uh, some of my favorite people are teachers. Part of the reason we don't talk about it is because a lot of the teachers are stuck in rooms. Mm -hmm. They don't know mm -hmm. what they're missing. They don't know what it's like in the real world of doing. They know the theory. They know the ideas. They know the concepts, but the reality is concepts unapplied have no value. Yeah. You know, when it, you look at a business journal and you read through that with the philosophies of business, right? Those come from professors Many of them aren't in the workplace. Now, there are, we have some good friends on the show, uh, past guests, who are, are, are professors and they also run businesses. So there's, mm -hmm. this is a, a broad stroke comment. Um, but the problem is, is that often we, 
if you write in a medical journal, you have to do the work. You can't just come with a theory of like how to do a heart transplant <laughs> and go, here's the journal paper. But that's what happens in the business world. Uh, they come out and say, here's my theory about blah, 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 blah. Here's some case studies. Well, it's still not applied knowledge. It's a theory. You go in and you read a journal about heart surgery. It's going to be experiential knowledge. They can't just go out and say, if you do these 10 steps or 10,000 steps, you'll have a successful heart transplant. It doesn't work that way. I think that in a lot of the circles of education, there's a lack, lack of practical experience that is mm. going on. And that uh, I, I, saddens me because there are a lot of brilliant people who teach at these levels who are completely ignorant to the realities of what happens outside their confines. So that's the educational space. When it comes to uh, culture and society, I think part of the problem is I've got to have my truth. And I hate to tell people, but your truth, if it isn't true, isn't true. It doesn't matter if you think something's true. If it's not true, it's not. If I walk in and say your wall that's right behind you, the Brooklyn Bridge, that's not the Brooklyn Bridge. That's the Manhattan Bridge. That's my truth. Well, no, it's still the Brooklyn Bridge. It doesn't matter what I say. Oh, I, I, I really thought I was Jackson. But no, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm, kidding. <laughs> I'm only seeing like an inch of it. So <laughs> You probably got it right. <laughs> Just talking to two foreign kids like that. Yeah, that's a pretty cool one that goes with yeah, that. Fun, fun fact. <laughs> That was here when we got to the office. So we just kept it. I was like, oh, it looks pretty good. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's awesome. You know, but that's the thing is like we have this sense of relative morality where there's like a, a, a fluidity to like truth. I mean, you've probably dealt with this in Venezuela where uh, there were a lot of decisions made that were com completely counter to what was best for the people. Because there was yes. somebody that says, as a leader, this is my truth. This is what's good for me. So it's good for everyone else. And it didn't trickle down that way. Absolutely. I mm. mean, that could be like a, just an episode on its own, which is crazy. <laughs> which, you know, after 20 years of bad decisions, you, you, you go back and you see the country in the, in the way that it is. I mean, we have our family there, right? Like we, we live it every single day. We have those phone calls where they're like, man, like. Uh, I had to wake up at 3 a.m. in the morning and go do a three-hour line to put, you know, maybe half a tank of gas, right? It's like, what? Yeah. What is that reality, right? We have staff in Venezuela, right? Like, we see this every single day where uh, schools now with the, this whole uh, pandemic kind of deal, what, right? Like, it's there's reshifting the whole perspective and there's people that think that cheating on an online exam is a good is a good way to, to go by, right? So it's these core decisions that we make as human beings that eventually make us, right? That person that is cheating on that exam then, or, you know, is going to grow up to, to do what, right? And then what are the values that they're going to, you know, put into their kids or their families? And then it just trickles down for generations and it's just really, really challenging to then get back up, right? So I, I do feel like those that conversation needs to happen uh, more often. So I do thank you for having those conversations and especially having a platform like the one that you have and, uh, and you know, sharing that message with everybody. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious, Michael, because... Something you, you were talking about the teachers stuck in the rooms, right? And mm -hmm. I agree with you. Or we're on the same page there, right? And something that I feel we've gained by being in the field, right? By practicing what we preach, is the emotional side of things, right? You start and you start seeing how other people react, right? And then you start learning, okay, how do I deal with their emotions as well? And at the end of the day, we're emotional human beings, like. Most of the decisions we take, we take emotionally and then we justify them rationally. Yet, I feel like in the classroom, everything is just rational thinking in there. So, 
having these conversations with people, the difficult conversations are a lot of emotional, that tend to, you know, lean a lot into the emotional side. And I'm curious, right? Because at the beginning, we, we talked about turning your dreams into, into reality, right? And I do think being very aware of that emotional side of, of entrepreneurship is a good way to start turning those dreams into reality. And I'm curious to know what is your opinion around that. Sorry, you cut out there. For, oh, yeah. The very last we're like, the, 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 come on, <laughs> come on. No. we're like, oh, man. Yeah, we're so like, what happened? Uh, no, I'm, I'm, say, I'm saying that, that I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, <laughs> might, might be. I'm, I'm curious to know what is that thought about that you have on the emotional side of entrepreneurship and how can that maybe is it like a foundation, do you think, to turning your dreams into an actual reality? Do you need do you think you need to be more emotionally conscious in the way you run things and as the way you grow and empower other people to actually to be able to turn those dream, dreams into reality or just by being fully rational, step one, two, three is how you, you get things done? <laughs> That, that's an impossible question to answer. Simply from the standpoint of each person is going to get there slightly different. Yeah. And it depends on what the dream is. There are some people that want to be a high school teacher and entrepreneurship's not going to fit. It's not yep. going to be a good construct for what they're trying to do. Yeah. You know, so I think it's easy to say, well, if as an entrepreneur, if you're not doing an entrepreneurial thing, then you're not really taking a risk that you're not yeah. going to go out and dream well, you know, but I, I think that's kind of productive too. So when yeah. it comes to the entrepreneurial space, let's address that directly. I think that the, the number one thing of dreaming and ideas is you have to start with identity, who you are. Mm. What are your gifts? What are your strengths? What are your likes? What are your dislikes? And that's going to inform you on how you can actually create a system or structure that works for you. In entrepreneurship, I think a lot of times we try to, I think in life, we try to be what we expect people think we should be. Mm. And in doing that, we actually dilute our own value, our own brand, for lack of a better way to say it. In that, we... If we don't walk in our identities, our gifts, our passions, our abilities, we can't really truly be dreaming because no. we're not living our life. We're living somebody else's life that we're trying to emulate. The Italian yes. job, which is uh, 1990s, early 2000s came out. Great movie. And it was, <laughs> what's that? Great movie. Are we talking about Italian yeah. job? Yeah. Amazing. So fun. <laughs> Yeah. And so you have all these guys who are going into steal this stuff and they're all like, when we steal all this and we get all this money, I'm going to get the stereo. I'm going to get the car. I'm going to get the yeah. house. I'm going to go get this. And the one they get to the one guy and he's like, uh, I'll just take all of yours because he didn't have his own dream. He didn't have yeah. his own idea yet. He didn't have his own identity, really. Mm -hmm. And so he had to steal from others to be who he was. And in that, that gave him vulnerability uh, in this case to be stolen back from yeah. and so the truth of the matter is is that identity is the foundation you know wow. we can talk about dreams and ideas and and that's awesome i love it that's the conversation i get most passionate about but until you deal with the question of identity you can't dream if you don't know who you are you can't really step out into dreaming and i i would say you know when it comes to systems or structures or what works best Figure out who you are. Use 16 personalities. Use Meyer Briggs. Use uh, whatever personality metrics that you like using. Start understanding how you think and process, mm -hmm. how you 
how you work. You know, there are people who are super analytical and it would make no sense for them to be doing uh, stuff that's abstract in their their process <laughs> yeah. of creating that business. Yeah. There are other people that are completely abstract uh, abstract and and creatives as we typically yeah. define them. Although I think analytics is super creative too. I, I, I think that if they were to try to look at it at a very analytical standpoint, they would just give up because they wouldn't get it. It wouldn't be part of who they are. Yeah. And then I think the next step is surround yourself with people that complement that, who oppose that, who are different than that to sharpen the process of ideas yeah. and get that that community, it, it, you want some people in there that are cheerleaders that help encourage yeah. you. You want some people on there who are naysayers who kind of beat you down a little bit over it yeah. because you need those people to bring the the reality of what you're facing. Yeah. And then you want to get some people that have been down the road who have done what you've done or in similar fields done things that you like to have them walk along the journey with you, to be your sage, to be your guide. I think we discredit a lot of the older generation because they don't get it because they're not tech. They don't get it because they're not woke. They don't get it because mm. they're antiquated or whatnot. Yeah. And yeah, there are certain aspects that I'm not going to go to an 80 year old and go, Hey, <laughs> teach me how to code Ruby. They're going to look at me and go, uh, what are you talking about? You know, I mean, there's probably that one or two guys that know how to do it. They're in their eighties. Yeah. But, but on the flip side, I can learn a lot about life. I can learn a lot about yep. business. I can learn a lot about failure and trial and adversity and all of those things that make us great. Yeah. And I think that we feel like we know what's best in the journey of dreaming. And, and we don't have some of those people to guide us, to help father us. I think we're missing kind of uh, the best way I can explain it is a uh, father to father you and how to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. yeah. Well, that that was an incredible answer. I love the way you you put it, right? The way you talked about identity and how it is a foundation, right, to to your dream. And I think that explains why so many people reach what they would call their dreams, right? They reach success, but then they're like, I don't have anything. Like they they feel like a failure, right? And I think it's because they didn't take the time to build that foundation, which is your identity, right? Know yeah. exactly who you are so then you can be happy as you go your life. Because, you know, it, it like like that cliche saying, which is it's not about the destination, life is about the journey, right? And I, I probably butcher yeah. it a little bit, but it, it, it's that. I think it's all about if, the dash. If right? you so. know, yeah, live the, live the dash, right? And if, if you know your identity, I feel like you can enjoy that journey. So thank you so much for sharing that. I think that was yeah. a very, very uh, powerful answer. And I know it was a very well, abstract question. No, so Yeah, <laughs> I, I love it. This and is, I'll say this real ahead, quick. Man. I, you know, in, in our conversation, uh, in our, our the interview I had with you guys on our show, uh, that's your story. You guys were struggling to figure out who you were and what made you tick. But once you did, you felt like you could really step into like business ideas that worked for you. Yeah, And mm -hmm. I love that part of your story because you. I think that if you look back at, at some of the other things that you did, one, they helped inform you to where you are today. But on the flip side, they allowed you to find a certainty and identity that gave you the freedom to be you yes. in what you're doing, to be yourselves and not try to put on uh, a, a mask. You know, I, yeah. I, I had a guy that once told me, Hey, you're missing the boat. You're not wearing a tie and a suit and blah, blah, blah. blah. And I go, if I go down to Silicon Valley to work with a fortune 100 company and I walk in as a developer wearing a suit and tie, <laughs> 
you're going to be like, this guy is not getting it. Yeah. They want me to wear a t-shirt and jeans. They want me to be more approachable, maybe a nice sweater mm. if it's cold or something like that. Yeah. They don't want me, they, they want me to feel a much more approachable, yeah. not uptight about it because they want to know that there's safety in the ideas. And, and there's an image that's, uh, cultivated by how you present yourself. Yeah. And so it's kind of funny that, uh, the very thing that helps, not the very thing. One of the things that helped me is that I was comfortable dressing the part of who I am yes. and being okay with that. When there's other people in the room that might have a suit or tie <laughs> and no, Hey, they got what they expected and we delivered on what they wanted. Yeah. yeah absolutely. We always refer back to the story where I went to sell or services for the first time to a restaurant and I, I actually dressed up like that. I put on a suit. I was like, that's not me. I feel so, I will, I will, so awkward. I would love to have a conversation now going back with that, with that restaurant owner and be like, what, what was going through your mind? Like, tell us please. Yeah. Because, you know, and that was a great conversation that we had also with, uh, with Bart Miller where, you know, we talked about identity, right. And, uh, and, uh, we we're talking about wearing the t-shirts and being us. Right. And obviously this is our space. So we can do legit whatever we want. Right. Which is the, allows us the freedom to have these amazing conversations. And when you own your own platform, like you do on your side, right. You control the narrative, you control your image like the message that you want to share and that's so powerful but then Bart was saying like hey, there's certain environments that you have to play the part right like if you're gonna ride a bike if, and he he's done uh he, he's a cowboy he does uh bike riding he owns a salon like he has like seven eight different he works at, he's like one of the top one percent like people in Amazon like crazy crazy life and he's like man like if I'm riding a bike I'm gonna dress as a biker right if I'm playing soccer I'm gonna dress as a soccer player and that's fine you once you change your environment that's fine but your true values inside of you remain the same but then there's that that shift that happens that you can take on an identity right depending on on what you're working on right if your core values stay pretty strong so like, yeah. to me that was that was pretty solid conversation too yeah I, I think that's a pretty important lesson right there because again within our business we're controlling our narrative right and in this story where we go to this restaurant all dressed up we were letting other narrative control our identity right mm -hmm. it wasn't just ourself owning our business and, and owning what we wanted to do. So yeah. pretty powerful stuff. And Michael, we are getting close to the end here. Woo. And I just want to say, we're going to have to bring you back for a second. <laughs> and know, maybe third time. Juicy. So Be juicy. So good. <laughs> because, <laughs> because Michael, we, we didn't talk at all about podcasting, uh -huh. which... I am extremely <laughs> curious to dive into that because, I mean, you've been doing, doing it for 368 episodes, which is yeah. insane, to, to say the least. I mean, we, we, we have a few minutes, right? Like, we could talk a no, little no, bit no. about this. No? I, I think we should you leave it for a second time. Uh, okay, okay. So we can... So we so, can sounds good. So we can dig deeper. So, sorry, audience, I tried, but it's okay. It's going to be better it, for you, it's audience. A, it's, a, it's a hook. It's a hook for it's the next hook. one. It's as simple as that. I, I, I do want to ask you... I mean, okay, podcasting is going to be episode two with you. I mean, 100%, we're committing you to do this. I'm sorry. Uh, happy, like, Merry Christmas. This is our present <laughs> to you. Uh, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Awesome. So, um, all right, action point, right? What, like, with what we talked about today, about, you know, achieving your dreams and identity, I think, like, that, that's such a such a valuable point here. And, and I think, I feel like this has been, like, one of the deepest conversations we've had on the show in a long time. Uh, which I love, right? Fonsi's like, no, I have those conversations every single day of my life, <laughs> whatever. Okay, uh, to me. <laughs> uh, what is like the, the first step that somebody, you know, is in this entrepreneurship journey or like new identity, like trying to figure out, right? They don't, they don't
don't feel quite comfortable in their place of work, in, in their environment. What is that next step that they have to take to get some momentum and, and get some positive out of that? Yeah, it's simple. I think, you know, we let dreaming and entrepreneurship, the one day syndrome happen to most of us in the journey for a simple thing. We don't know what to do and we're afraid to take a leap. You know, and and that's a dangerous place to live. If you are if you're filled with fear, you're going to have a limitation of resources to know what to do next. Because you're always going to be seized up by what you can't do, by what could happen. But when you remove the fear, and removing fear, I mean that sounds so easy just by saying just remove the fear. <laughs> But the easiest way to remove fear is to do something that costs you little. I think that a lot of people aren't willing to take the risk because of that fear that says, what if I fail? What if I lose all my investment? What if this doesn't work out the way I want? What if I don't like it? What if I do have success and then my life is completely ruined because I, I, I don't have time for family or, you know, yeah. the list could go on a billion miles long. The simplest thing is start small. I think that by we do something called micro experiments, which are five steps to go from an idea into a concept. Mm. And they're called micro experiments because they're small. They could be an hour long. They could be a day long. They could be a week long. If they go much past a week, they're not a micro experiment anymore. Mm -hmm. And so there's a free guide on our website, jumblethink.com. You can go download it for free. It's called the Dreamer's Guide to Micro Experiments. When you go to the website, it just pops right up. Awesome. Uh, and, and it literally is the scientific method applied to entrepreneurship. And, and it's a tried and true method. It works for science. So why wouldn't it work for entrepreneurship? So we, I changed some of the phrasing on how the steps are and all of that. But simply look at something that's bite-sized. You go, you know what would be great is I'd love to start a winery. That's my dream. I want to start a winery. Well, instead of going out and buying grape vines and ripping up your backyard, putting in 100 uh, plants, and then going, I really don't like this. <laughs> Go spend a weekend in harvest volunteering at a local winery yeah. to go and harvest. Go spend a summer just once a week. Just call up a winemaker at a small winery and say, hey, do you need some help? I'd love to learn what you do. I'd love to see if this is something I'd like to do. And then go out and do it. Oh, Another so thing good. is is that, that a lot of times we do trials without a desired outcome. And I, I, what I mean isn't control the outcome, like, oh, I got what I expected. What I mean is ask the questions that you're trying to learn. What am I trying to learn if I go and do that weekend at the winery? Oh, well, one, do I like being out and working on vines? Two, what are the things I don't know about this that might hinder me? Three, how can I start small? And, and you know, these simple questions that you could go and say, well, I like doing it. I didn't let me a little... little Micro experiment. I went out and worked at the vineyard for the summer. Went out once a week. I I, I met with the vintner. I learned about grapevines. I learned how yeah. that all works. And and so the next micro experiment is: What would it take to start a micro winery? Mm -hmm. What if I did a small crush? What? And then if you go, hey, I don't like growing grapes, but I like the the process of fermentation and and crafting a wine and aging it. Well, how can you do that without buying grapes? You know, so there are all kinds of different levels in which you can start. But if you start with micro experiments, you learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about what you do and don't like. You learn a lot about what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. By using those micro experiments, you're really 
lowering the liability you have to loss. Yeah. You're not spending millions of dollars. You're not spending thousands of dollars. You're spending a couple dollars from your pocket that you go, this isn't really hurting me to do this. Uh, now, you might not be spending any money. You might be spending some time just learning. Use the micro experiment. Use that process. And that will really set you up for success because a lot of little things yeah. build into great things. There's a great proverb in the Bible. that says the little, our song of Solomon, I think actually it says it's the little foxes that spoil the vine, but it's the little things that can also build your victories. So if we mind the little things, the big things become much more attainable. Ah, this is so wow. good. I, I want to tie it to, Oh, first off go jumblethink.com, Right. And, and, and get the, the guy we're going to go right in there and we're going to put it in the comments. So all you got to do is like scroll down and, and click it very simple for you. And also I want to tie it down to publishing, right? Because you know, when, when we started our journey and we were like, Oh, we want to have this amazing content machine, right? We know the theory, we know the thing, you know, we've seen the people that work and, and do it all the time, day in, day out, you know, but it, but it was far from a micro experiment. It was so far At from first, a micro experiment. It was a, a very ma macro experiment. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, we, we were trying to go from zero publishing to maybe, you know, at that point, I think we were thinking about 50 times a week, right? And it was like, ah. We, we wanted to be Gary Vee. Exactly. You know, from day one. From day one. And and it didn't happen for three years, right? It was, it was a struggle. And, you know, we uh, how we started? Micro experiment. For us, it was Facebook Live, one a day, right? Uh, you know, the first thing is like we lasted 15 days because we got results on consistency. Then we did it again and it was 17 days. And But again, micro experiments are on the publishing aspect of it. Then we took that and then we elevated, right? Because we were committed. We saw results and so on. So I think, you know, in the entrepreneurship journey and tying it down to, to publishing because, you know, a lot of people that, that listen to the show are in that journey of publishing. How do I amplify my, my message, right? How do I amplify my points of contact? How do I, how do I achieve that frictionless cell well through consistency that you've built from your micro experiment so we're going to actually you know borrow that from you we're going to obviously give you credit uh in every conversation that we have and we use a micro experiment uh template it's like create your own micro experiment when it comes to publishing right there's yeah. no secret formula is consistency how can you be consistent and then build from there uh which yeah. i love man thank you the, so much that was awesome the other day i was actually listening to this podcast and they were talking about creativity right and the the interviewee was talking about scientists being some of the most creative people out there and it's yeah. because they take ideas and then they use a scientific method to turn them into reality right so when you started talking about the yeah. micro experiment and how it is actually the scientific method i was like that is yes. so genius that is so amazing right it, it's a great framework that you literally can apply to anything in life yeah. um and I, i've been trying since i since i heard that i'm in trying to see now things like what are the steps right to, to do this and yeah. it actually makes it more exciting because i feel like in a way also teaches you to fail which is such an important part of life and we need to understand that failures are we call them samples right they're just gonna give you in the scientific world right they're giving you a sample to know whether you're getting closer to the results or not or if you need to pivot you need to do something else so yeah. they are key to success yet we are so afraid of fa of failing something uh -huh. and i feel like part of it is the way people are raised right like oh you did a bad grade you didn't pass uh this test right you failed And I, I, I think we're, we, we grow up just being so afraid of yeah. trying things. 
So thank you for that. I think it's amazing. We're definitely going to send people your yeah. way. Michael, you're definitely not afraid of, of, of failing or, you know, not no exchange of consistency because you've published more than 300 episodes of your <laughs> show. So um, I know that we're going to leave the whole thing podcast for, for part two of this amazing conversation. But I have one last question to ask you. And is, yeah. you know, where where will you be if you do not publish? Uh, well, I, I love publishing the stuff that I do because it opens up doors for conversations. So there are some people that I work with that are clients because of it, but I love what I do from a creator standpoint, simply from the standpoint it allows me to have conversations. And that's really the, the heartbeat and blood of what I love doing, which is just sitting down with people and, and saying, what if, what if we could make this a reality? And, and by having these conversations, I think it just opens up a lot of doors. It opens up conversations with you guys. If I would have never created, I would have never known you guys. If I'd never published our show, never would have met you guys. I would have never met Eric and Josh over at mm -hmm. Podmax. I would have never been able to stand on a comedy club. I didn't do comedy yet, but I, I stood <laughs> on a comedy club stage and I did a podcast interview there in wow. New York City. I mean, like Incredible. I got to interview crazy people on the show and begin to have conversations with them and build friendships with them yeah, and hopefully define um, uh, maybe some hope in their life. So it's opened a lot of opportunities and it's been a lot of fun and I've learned a lot. I have uh, my laptop right now is being held up by like 15 books uh, <laughs> so that I'm looking more at the camera than down here Love and it. Uh, it doesn't always work, but uh, <laughs> you know, and I've gotten to, to read books. I've gotten to learn a lot. I've gotten a lot of experience and I've been able to apply those lessons to my own life. Yeah, I incredible. love it. That, thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Yes, you you, you just put into words my, what I feel exactly about publishing. You know, relationships, yeah. learning, just getting to grow personally, so important. And it's I feel it's so overlooked, right? The value of putting your work your work out there. So thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, before we leave, I'm curious, since you said you have a, a tower of books right there, which one is your favorite book <laughs> that you would recommend? Well, I wouldn't recommend one of the books. I mean, I recommend a lot of the books that are under my computer right now. Yeah, but the don't, one that don't I would recommend it. is a book over here. Yeah, it's like, right. don't pull them out because then we won't be able to see you. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll grab the one from my bookshelf. You know, we're talking about... <laughs> dreamers and as i kick the microphone and the microphone stand <laughs> and i'm making noise and thumping things and uh doing everything uh, i shouldn't this is a book called the dream giver mm. uh, by bruce wilkinson mm. and it is a condensed concept of the hero's journey mm. um, and it really applies to specifically people with ideas and dreams and creators which is a little bit different than the hero's journey I love the hero's journey, but this is concise and into that. It goes into like finding purpose and identity and that journey, uh, which is all part of the hero's journey. Uh, yeah. Joseph Smith and, or is it Joseph Smith? Uh, uh, Joseph Campbell. Campbell. Yeah. Campbell, yeah. Joseph Campbell. Smith's the Mormon guy, right? And so <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joseph Campbell, and uh, this is a great book uh, by Bruce Wilkinson and uh, just really, really fun handbook mm. and it's real practical so at the end of each chapter and steps that you can oh, wrestle nice. through with where you're at and so that's a really i really recommend that one thank oh, you appreciate yeah. it and i think it comes perfectly with the topic that we handle today yeah we might have Absolutely. to start we might have to do this question every time because uh, i know build I'm a library all right uh michael where, where can people find you where can people connect with you we mentioned uh you know uh jumbothink.com 
what else? What else? That's you got the easiest way. Jumblethink.com. You'll find links to Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, Facebook, and the likes. Uh, and then from there, I mean, drop me a note. I'd love to hear your story. Even if you're never a guest on the show and you're watching this, I'd just love to hear your story and, and maybe how the conversation today inspired you. You can simply email me, mike at jumblethink.com. No handlers, no one else. It just comes right mm-hmm. to my inbox. Might take a couple days for me to get back to you, but I'd love to hear your story because I think uh, stories are the lifeblood of of culture and we've gotten away from telling good stories absolutely uh, so yeah well michael thank you so much that was <laughs> what a was fun so, afternoon together yeah, it was Love such it. an incredible conversation we really appreciate it hopefully we brought some some of the florida heat through you know the, <laughs> the storm that you guys are living you know right now so <laughs> well he, he likes the cold. we reject it we love the snow <laughs> exactly I like, he likes the snow he likes the cold i, I was testing you michael just saying uh you failed <laughs> Grab the tubes and go tubing in a few minutes. Oh, okay. Well, fun fact: we we have never ever seen or touched like snow, like real snow. So uh, we might have never crash at our place. I know. You're welcome anytime. Thank you. We're heading we're heading that way as we edit the podcast. That's it. Done. But (laughs) thank you. I'm gonna put this out there, Michael, one last time. Do you want to close us up with that guitar riff right there? Or <laughs> eh, not putting you at the spot at all. For those listening, he has a little bit of a, he has a guitar in the back. And yeah. uh, we've been like trying to convince him uh, for the whole show to, to do this. But, you know, maybe, maybe for episode two. Maybe okay. for episode two. That's just right. Saying, just saying. And then yeah. you, you got, you two can jam and then I will pretend to sing because uh, I suck at singing. But <laughs> my wife reminds me every time I'm in the shower. She's like, no, stop it. Okay. Uh, all right, enough, Luis. That okay, cool. With that being said, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to the Cutting's Profit Podcast. Go ahead and subscribe, hit smash that subscribe button, and follow us on social media at BeastBrosCo. That is right. And if you find this episode impactful, which I am sure you did, please, please don't forget to share it and and leave a five star review. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>